0: And just kind of mulling over them and meditating over them, chewing over them in his heart and in, and in his mind. And so great was his concentration and focus that he came to a fork in the road and where he normally would have turned left to go home, he kind of absent-mindedly turned right. And so he continued to walk and continued to recite the Torah, unaware that he was heading in the wrong direction. But the rabbi's focus was broken suddenly a few minutes later when someone yells out, Hey! And the rabbi freezes. And startled, he looks up and he looks all around him and he instantly realizes his mistake. Before him is this large Roman fortification with a guard keeping watch from the rampart above the gated entrance. And the guard yells down to him, who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi stood and he stares back at the guard. What did you just ask me? I asked you who you are and what, you, what are you doing here? The rabbi is silent for a few moments. And then he asks, How much does Rome pay you to ask me those questions? And the guard, you know, lifts up his torch and he leans over and he says, What? I just want to know how how much does Rome pay you to ask me those questions? The guard now, with a look of contempt and disgust growing on his face, says, One denarii a week, Jew. Why? The rabbi is silent for a moment and he thinks. And he says, I'll pay you twice that if you stand outside my door every day and ask me those two questions every time I leave my house. Who are you? And what are you doing here? Being able to answer those questions confidently allows you to move into the world with power and purpose. And knowing where to look for the answers to those questions is critical. I believe that if you are seeking the answers to your identity and mission, who you are and what you're doing here. If you seek those answers without seeking God and His truth as a starting point, as a foundation, then you're going to be, your search is going to be frustrating and it's ultimately going to go unsatisfied because God is the source of our identity and our mission. That's true for us at the level of the individual, but it's also true for us at the corporate level as a church, as a gathered body, as a church family. And just like that question, those questions, who are you and what are you doing here, those are important questions to be coming back to as individuals within our marriages, within our families. But those are also critical questions for us to revisit from time to time at the level of church. Like, who are we as Nelson Evangelical Covenant Church. What are we doing here? I've been asking myself that question a lot over the summer. I'm moving into my fifth year here, and I've watched our church change and grow, and I feel a real burden to bring these questions into the focus this fall. Because I don't want us to waste our time as a church by simply busying ourselves with many good things but neglect or maybe even miss the very best things that God is calling us to. I like Francis Chan's word of warning when he says, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Our biggest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And that's kind of my worst case scenario, pastor, As a, personally as a Christian, but also as a pastor. As a Christian, I don't want to operate with kind of a vague, low resolution picture of who I am in Christ and what I'm called to do. How God has uniquely gifted and called me, what my mission is, both generally and in the specifics. And as a pastor, I don't want to lead this church with a very vague low-resolution picture of who we are in Christ, how God has uniquely gifted and called us as a local church here in Nelson, and what our mission is. And so over the next few weeks, I want to steep in this question of identity and mission, but instead of looking at it on the individual level, although I think it'll have lots of spillover ramifications and challenge for each of us on that level, I want us to ask those questions as a church And I want this series to act as, maybe not a reset isn't the right word, maybe not a pause isn't the right word, but it's a chance to sharpen our understanding of who we are as Nelson Evangelical Covenant Church. What do those words mean independently? What do they mean together? What are the implications for us? How do they challenge us? What do they demand of us? How do they bind us? How do they call us forward? What are they calling us to let go of? I want us to hone our focus on what God is calling us to prioritize over the next, next major season of ministry, maybe next three to five years. That's kind of the windows that I work in, three to five years. But I also want to be honest because what happens in a conventional um, vision series, if you're gonna call it that, or kind of like, hey, this is where we're going in the future, is there's all this work that happens behind the scenes, much of it is done by the lead pastor and then maybe it's shared at the level of board leadership. And then at some point, there's a Sunday where the lead pastor says, hey, here's where we're going, here's the vision. And I wanna be honest by saying, I, I do not have any kind of preferred picture of the future. I haven't gone to some mountaintop and come back and said in three years, our church is gonna look like this, we're gonna be doing this, we're gonna be this big, we're gonna have these programs. I'm coming here at the start of this series and inviting all of us to kind of go on that journey together, whether it's simply praying for our church to come into clarity by filling out surveys that I'm going to be, giving you a chance to reply to, conversations. See, I don't think, well, I don't like to pastor on the presumption that God only speaks and directs through me. That's why he's given us a church. So I have priorities that are important to me, but I want to understand what, our priorities are, and the priorities that God is calling us to, and to be careful not to presume what I would like to be the case uh, is what God wants to be the case, and just kind of conflate those. So this isn't some kind of big reveal of, the, of a strategic plan for the next three to five years. This is a chance for us to come together and consistently over the next few weeks be praying and asking God to bring us clarity, so that if things need to change they change, and we have the courage and faith to do it. If things need to stay the same, we continue in steadfastness and faithfulness. But we're yielding those questions before God. Who are we and what are we called to do? What are we doing here? So that we don't waste our lives or succeed at things that don't ultimately matter. It's really important to me that we're worshiping and serving and loving and giving and laboring together and that we're on the same page in doing that And my desire is that this series is going to help us come into a richer self-understanding of how God has uniquely called and gifted us as a church and giving us a fresh vision and a clear picture of how we move forward into that future. So to that end, let me just pray and then I'm going to continue, but I just want to pray, kind of pause and pray here um, and kind of surrender these next few weeks to God. God, Proverbs 4.26 Says, give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. And that's, that's a proverb that I kept coming back to. I think that is my heartbeat for this series to just say as a church before we just move into a new ministry year and just start doing and start rolling into programs and kind of the normal status quo, even if the status quo is really, really good God, even if it does glorify you, Holy Spirit, give us pause to be give careful thought to our paths. We want to know and have a clear and rich understanding of who we are in you as a church, what you're calling us to do and to be, and then to be steadfast in that vision. So I surrender these next few weeks for you and ask that as people in this church participate in all the different ways for feedback and for prayer and support, that you would lead us by your spirit to an end that brings you glory and that brings your goodness um, to our neighbors and to this community. Amen. So who are we? What are we doing here? You can't answer those questions unless you're familiar with at least the basic storyline of the Bible, because that storyline, that drama frames your understanding of not just what's happening in the Bible, but it frames your understanding of your own story. It's the meta narrative. It's the capital B big story that your life will only make sense when you surrender and understand, oh, this is the overarching thing that's actually happening. This is the story that helps me to make sense of my own story. Or maybe said a different way, you can move through life with kind of a fuzzy, low resolution uh, sense of where you're going, but what the Bible does is it acts like a lens that when you put on the glasses, you're like, wow, I didn't realize I was seeing so poorly. Like, my vision is really deteriorated. Now, I can see clearly and things that uh, were maybe in my peripheral, I really realized I need to give those tremendous attention. The things that matter most are brought into really sharp focus. And so our identity and mission as a church will increase in clarity as we reflect on four pillars of the biblical story. And some of you know this, but I want to review, because again, I want to make sure we're all on the same page. The first is Creation. Genesis chapter one and two. The biblical story starts with a God who is love, creating humanity and all of creation in order to flourish and to grow his family of love. God's desire was to enjoy goodness and the beauty of his creation in concert with us and to work with us to fulfill the potential of creation. We're, we're learning to live as gardeners and image bearers under his rule and reign, bringing out the potential in creation. Loving God well, loving each other well, loving and stewarding the creation well, flourishing. Genesis one thirty one says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God's original blueprint and template is very good. But by the third chapter, we're introduced to this next theme of fall. And that's a, the fall refers to the event in the garden where Adam and Eve, and through them all humanity, damage all of creation because of their distrust and rejection of God. We turn away from God. We distrust that his intentions and plans for us are good. We think we know a better way. We're gonna define right and wrong for ourselves in our own eyes, right? All of God's commands get shifted to suggestions. And now we live in a world because of that, that is enslaved under the forces of sin and death. And sin just becomes a big word that's used to encompass all of the ways that humanity rejects or ignores God and turns away from Him. And now there's disconnection and decay and death on every level of reality. And fighting for uh, connection and health and life is incredibly difficult. The entire, entire reality seems to just flow towards death and destruction and disintegration And the Bible says because we are all contributing to that poison, poisonous power of sin. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is not a problem that we can pin on those people over there or just the really bad people or the grand sinners, however we would conceive of that in our own mind's eye. We have all sinned. And so we live under the judgment of God because instead of filling His world with His life and His goodness, we filled it With death and decay. And Romans 6 says, The wages of sin is death. That's the ultimate consequence spiritual death and destruction, physical death and destruction, relational death and destruction. And the way that plays out in our individual stories is that we live life with a sense of alienation from God, alienation from each other, from our own selves. Who are we and what are we doing here? Our own vocation in the world. All of that gets disrupted because of sin's power enslaving us and holding us down and holding us back. And although the story has taken a dark turn, it started good creation, it's fallen because of our willful rejection of God, there's good news. There's this big biblical word called redemption where even in Genesis 3, in light of uh, Adam and Eve's rejection of God, God begins to work to turn what looks to be like it's gonna be a dead-end story into a story with a happy ending. All is not lost. God has a plan to restore us to the life that we were designed to live. And this plan centers on Jesus, who comes and dies for us. And 1 John says, this is what love is. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so Jesus, who is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, not just a man, He's fully human, but He's also fully divine. He comes voluntarily sacrifices Himself on our behalf in order to save us and to create the conditions by which we can be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other, reconciled to our place and purpose in the world. Reconciled in such a way that the forces of sin and death that once ruled our hearts and our imagination and our bodies, we can be delivered from sin's power. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And eternal life is a loaded phrase that doesn't mean like life that goes on forever after death, like in heaven. It includes that, but it also is a big term that means the kind of li- God's kind of life, the kind of life that God intended us to experience here and now with eternal ramifications. And so in this vision, Where God comes to rescue us, to offer a chance for forgiveness and healing and deliver us from sin's power so that we can experience abundant life and then share that message and that life with other people, we can begin to see that God's purposes in this world are really big and that you have a part to play in it. And so, together, the church is sent on this mission to share this message in both word and deed. Jesus says, go and make disciples. And as the story of redemption unfolds, again, two things are made very, very clear. Number one is that God has a mission to you. The biblical story, in one sense, centers on God's acts that allow you to come into restored relationship with him and to have your whole life turned right side up. You are spiritually lost because of your sin. You are dead in sin. You're alienated from the life that is truly life. And you are headed for destruction. But God is drawn near to rescue you because of His great love for you. And the second thing the Bible's unfolding story of creation, fall, and then redemption makes clear is that God has a mission through you. It's not just about you. It's about what God has done to come and rescue you And then how God is inviting you to join his mission to bring restoration and healing and forgiveness. But he wants to use you like you particularly as an individual with all your idiosyncratic elements and characteristics. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has grand purposes that we're all fit for but particular purposes and particular little missions that only you can do because of your unique constellation of spiritual gifts and talents and experiences and, and wounds and hills and valleys, all of it, God has been working in your life to prepare you for a grand mission. God has a mission through you. God's mission extends to you, but it continues through you into the world. Second Corinthians talks about how God has reconciled us to himself and now given us the ministry of reconciliation. We now go and help people in ways big and small, not forcefully, but we're inviting them to consider being reconciled to God. In verse 20 of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, we're making, sorry, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And when Jesus gathers around his disciples after he's, been uh, resurrected, and before he ascends, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And disciples is a word that just means people who are seriously trying to follow me with their whole lives. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to be doing that next week. We're continuing in this mission. And then it says, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. Teach them about the life that is truly life. Teach them why living in sin is so destructive and such a dead end and so foolish on so many levels. And why turning to the living God and his source of hope and power and walking his paths is the way to find life. And so God's mission has this ripple effect. We get reconciled to God. God begins to um, turn our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. God doesn't wait for us to kind of get all of our stuff together and we're just kind of like... uh, totally solid, perfect people. God begins using us right away to reach out to those who are lost and far from God, just like we were. But also, that story doesn't just stay in this indefinite pl- uh, playing out of kind of the kingdom of God. God's at work in the world, but there's big forces of evil and is it, I don't know, is it kind of like karmic and yin and yang and it just kind of goes back and forth. The Bible says, no, that's not true. There's an, inevi- there's an inevitable momentum to the kingdom of God and an inevitable s- stopping point where Jesus is going to return and stop human history as we know it, put a complete end to sin and death, fully establish the kingdom that he has started by his Spirit through his church here and now. And those who are restored in Jesus will finally flourish in the perfect love of God, in perfect community, and renewed creation, new heavens and a new earth, not up in heaven forever in some kind of disembodied, weird, what we might think of as um, disembodied spiritual state, but John sees this vision given by Jesus in Revelation, and he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has passed away. And he has this vision of a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And just like a bride and a groom come together on their wedding day, and they fuse physically as a way to take uh, two entities and make them one in a mystical, powerful union, heavens and earth will be joined together. There'll be a great wedding supper of the Lamb, and God will bring to completion this plan of redemption with a new creation. Now, that in a few minutes is a real bird's eye view of the momentum of the biblical story. But it's important to even understand and be familiar with it at that level. Because just knowing the biblical story through the themes of creation, fall, redemption, new creation, it challenges us. Maybe, I, I, I think it demands that however we answer the question who are we as Nelson Evangelical Covenant Church, and what are we supposed to be doing here, it commits us to four principles or priorities or characteristics. The first is that it challenges and demands that we are a biblical church. Meaning, if this is telling us the true story of the world, then we better get to know the story pretty well. Yes, at 35,000 feet and at the ground level in its sweeping scope and its particularities because whatever story you give yourself to and invest in over time will shape you. And if we are a biblical people that is learning to understand the story and who God is and who we are and how we're called to live within it, we will be shaped by that story as God does his work by his spirit through his word. But if you just give this lip service, if you keep this on your shelf and the story that you allow yourself or even intentionally move into is one of You've come from kind of nothing. You're here accidentally. You have a certain amount of time on this earth and um, right and wrong and, and, and um, questions of meaning and purpose. Those are for you to decide. You do you um, with a slant towards life is about cons- consumption. You're only, you're only here once, right? YOLO. So just consume all you can. Consume, other, consume experiences, maybe other people's bodies, as much pleasure as you can and that could be because one day you're going to die and that's going to be it. You're... Uh, th- there's no meaningful creation of who you were. You came from nothing. You're headed to nothing. Everything in between is kind of nihilistic and not really that important. So just do whatever seems right in your own eyes. You steep in that story, it will shape you. It will distort you. It will shape, shape you obviously in a strong and healthy, wise way because that's not the actual true story of the world. And if you try and live into that story, you're gonna keep coming up against interferences where you're like, I thought I could just live however I wanted. But God has structured the world so that if we live according to His wisdom, we flourish. If we ignore it, we'll keep hitting, maybe at first speed bumps, but then those speed bumps become roadblocks and ultimately pits that we drive ourselves into. So we wanna be a biblical church. We wanna be growing in our knowledge of God by studying the Bible, but we also wanna be a devotional church. Just by a show of hands, how many people think it's possible to be biblical without being devotional? Do you know what I mean by that? Being biblical means you just know a lot about the Bible. I can be biblical. I can, maybe, be able to argue most of you under the table in terms of theology. But devotional means something different. It means I'm fundamentally trying to understand and learn this story so that I can increase in my own personal faithfulness to Jesus. I'm I'm not just studying this to win a Bible quiz contest of life or to stand before God and get to the end and say, God, you should let me into heaven because I memorized X number of scriptures and I'm quite clever and I've listened to lots of debates around some of these issues and you might be kind of impressed at how I frame things. Scripture is given to us and it's useful for teaching or rebuking for shaping us towards Christ-likeness And as we talked about um, the warning in Revelation 2 from Jesus, man, you can be doing a lot of the right things. You can be very biblical in your expression, but your heart can still be very far from God. But knowing this story well doesn't just commit us to being a biblical church. It commits us to being a church that emphasizes a devotional relationship and connection to God, a real surrender of the heart, not just knowing things about God, but striving to know Him and to be obedient to him in all of life. Next, it demands that we become a connectional church. We understand in the story that we're connected, we're we're created for relationship with God, but we're created for relationship with each other. One of the gifts of life is community and friendships. And we're a connectional people, and that means this church can't operate and shouldn't operate with the idea that, like, yeah, like, we're kind of a bunch of atomized individuals. We gather together on Sunday and that's when connection happens and then we kind of disperse and there's no overlap of our lives at all between anybody. We're just kind of individuals who happen to come together on Sunday for a few hours and then we leave. There, there has to be a commitment to recognizing that if this is a church family it's hard to sustain family love and care and connection if you were to just have one meal together a week. And the rest of the time you're living your own lives. Now we'll talk about some of the dynamics there in terms of it doesn't mean we're gonna get together for church every day or that we're trying to force relationships, but it does mean a, co- a commitment to being connected to each other, to be caring for one another, to at least be praying and reaching out and but looking for ways to invest in other people here. One of the ideas that has really resonated with me in terms of how to do that well, and I've talked to a lot of churches from a lot of denominations, a lot of pastors read a lot of books, listen to a lot of podcasts, probably the simplest way I would encourage you to think about it is, um, well, let me, let me phrase it this way. One of the most immediate ways you can build better connections in and through this church is to commit to Sunday plus one. So commit to coming on Sunday morning as often as you're able, but then throughout the week look for one other point of connection, Might be a small group, might be a mentoring relationship, might be a prayer time with someone, might be just coffee with a friend discussing the sermon. Uh, I'm not super concerned about the nature of that plus one, but this is what I've gleaned from talking to lots of people and reading lots of articles. Sunday is important and it's very necessary and important to gather together. There's a lot that God does in the gathered body of community, but it's also insufficient because we often don't drive down to the level of community and connection that we need. But some people forego the Sunday thing and then they just do the individual connection thing. Or another group of people just think, well, I'll lean into Sunday or that connection based on where I feel like I am at any given point. So maybe for four weeks I'll lean into one or both of those and then I'll kinda take a break for months. And then they're wondering why there's no connected momentum in their life. I'm really challenging myself to say, what does it look like for me to commit to coming on Sundays and then what's that plus one? Maybe it's a three-to-one group, maybe it's a mentoring group, maybe it's a book study, maybe it's a men's group or a men's breakfast. On that table back there, there are two uh, sign-up sheets. They're both the same, there's just two of them, so we don't have too much of a queue after church. And if you're looking to get better connected, just sign up on that sheet. And you can indicate whether or not you're interested in learning more about small groups that are happening, or three-to-one groups, which are groups of three people that meet for two hours once a month. Maybe it's a mentoring relationship, men's ministry, women's ministry. After the service, just go over there and write that down. Maybe you're already in a group or you already feel like, no, I've got my plus one, that's great. Super. But I think all of us should be thinking through, what's my Sunday plus one? What's that other opportunity to reach out and to build connection and to grow in my ability to love other people in and through this church? And the last thing, last thing this story commits us to is to be missional. If God, if the story of the Bible is, God, is one of God's mission, and then God's inviting us into that mission, it's so counter, counter-narrative, counter-story for, for me to be the recipient of God's mission to me and then say, great, that's where I want to leave it, God. I don't actually want your mission to flow through me. I, I like A part, but not B part. So that, that's what works for me. I'll just sort of check out of your mission. I won't strive to understand who you've made me to be and how you're calling me to live and what it looks like for me at school, at work, in my recreation, with my money, with my time, with my energy to honor you and to seek to expand um, godly influence and wisdom in this world. The answer to the question of who are we and what are we doing here has to include some reference point to, we are on mission. We're the recipients of God's mission to us. We've got to be wrestling with, as a church, how do we extend that mission? How do we allow God to most effectively and faithfully and powerfully um, extend his mission to the world through us? How do we put ourselves in that situation, that posture of the heart? We're called to share the love of God. We're called to grow the family of God. One of the things I want to be able to say In my heart as a pastor, I've done all I can to challenge us to be purposefully pursuing the priorities of God. That we're not just sort of casually slumping towards the pursuit of God. Like this is, we're serious about this. So we need to be asking questions. What is our next step in going further in the mission of God? Does the mission of God even grip us? Or again, have we allowed other stories that the culture is telling us to kind of sideline or to silence the big true story that God's word is challenging us and inviting us into? Where God's mission to you matters and God's mission through you matters. So who are you and what are you doing here? Do you know that? Like, can you answer that for yourself personally? I don't believe you can have those questions settled without first yielding your life and heart to Jesus. And as you hear this story, I never know who is hearing the sound of my voice here live or on the podcast. I don't know where people are coming from. But I want you to know, if you have heard this story for the first time, this overview of the Bible, maybe you've never cracked open the Bible, but you didn't associate the Bible with that kind of story but something rings true, I want you to know that like even today it's possible for you to join in and enter that story. To become a follower of Jesus. To join intentionally, purposefully his mission in the world. And there's not many, there's not, there's not a whole bunch of religious hoops to jump through. You can really begin to follow Jesus today through a prayer like this. This is a very simple prayer but this, this, this counts when your heart is longing to have Jesus as your Lord. Or just a prayer like, Jesus, I believe that your death and resurrection broke the powers of sin and death in the world, and I believe that it can break the power of sin over me. And I want to acknowledge my responsibility in contributing to the world's sin problem and pain. And Jesus, I realize that I need your forgiveness, your hope, your healing. I need your help, and I ask you to forgive me and I want to make you the leader of my life. I want to give you the throne of my heart. I prayed a prayer like that, very similar, when I was 14 years old. And when you pray, when you make that decision, you become a Christian. Jesus called it, it's like being born again. You're now starting a new life and a new understanding with a new story and a new leader at the helm. Maybe many of you here have already made that commitment at some point in your life. And if you have, then the challenge for all of us who have set Jesus as our Lord and Savior in this life already is to move into a fresh season of reinforcing and maybe even discovering new dimensions of our identity and our mission as Nelson Evangelical Covenant Church. And so my summons to all of us is let's discover who we are and let's discover what we're supposed to be doing here and let's do that together in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your mission to us.